0: Good morning, Brasilia. Good afternoon, Port Louis, and good evening, Makassar from Washington, D.C. I'm Ethan Plotkin, and this is Intrigue Out Loud, your go-to audio guide to the globe. On today's show, I'm joined by Intrigue co-founder John Fowler to discuss the AUKUS submarine deal and the collapse of a major American bank. It's all coming up.
1: Morning, John. How are you? I'm doing well, Ethan. And before we crack on today, I just wanted to give you some props for your interview last week on the Iranian situation with the with Ellie, the Iranian expert. I thought it was fascinating and really insightful.
0: I, I appreciate that, John. I, and for the listeners to know, I, I really did not put John up to saying that. But now that you're here, uh, make sure you listen to the interview on Friday. It's going to be really good, too. So we're, we're starting to do this every week. So keep an eye out. Uh, but in the meantime... Uh, let's talk about today. So, it's, John, it's been over a month since we started this show, and I'd have to go back and check, but I'm not sure we've ever uttered the name of your home country. So, here's your opportunity. Finally.
1: Finally. I guess thank goodness we're not talking about Australian politics in uh in a sort of stupid way, like prime ministers eating onions or <laughs> trade ministers bursting into songs
0: unless we forget six point plans and um I
1: believe they're called bonk bands oh yeah the less said about them, the better I think
0: <laughs> <laughs> I hate to say it john, but we we could really go on about Australian politics all day uh so let's let's drop it there let's get into the story here. Uh, What was Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese doing in San Diego this week?
1: Yeah, so Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese was in San Diego for the announcement of the AUKUS deal between Australia, the UK and the US, or I should say the announcement of the next phase of the AUKUS deal. The core of this deal, as many of you listeners will know, is a technology sharing agreement between the US and Australia that will one day, allow Australia to buy and operate three Virginia-class submarines, the U.S. submarines. Um, the Virginia-class vessels are nuclear-powered, and that's a big change for the Australian Defence Force. And it means they can stay underwater for a lot longer and travel a lot further than Australia's current fleet of diesel submarines, which are set to be retired over the next decade or so. And I think the bit that's making most of the news here is that the three partners, partners—that the US, the UK and Australia, have agreed to create a new class of submarine called the SSN AUKUS over the next 30 years. And that will be built with a, a UK hull, US n- nuclear technology, and Australia will contribute, uh, <laughs> let's say, submariners and, and a good attitude. <laughs> and another huge part of the agreement, I think, is that the deal will see Australia become essentially a giant forward operating base for the U.S. and U.K. submarines. Uh, the three countries plan to coordinate on AI, cyber warfare, missile technology. You know, it's it's really a, just a really broad defense agreement.
0: John, I think we'll get back to this, but but what Australia is really contributing here is a whole heck of a lot of cold, hard cash, but John, is this the same AUKUS that caused a bit of a diplomatic stir a couple years ago?
1: Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's the deal that folks may have heard of because Australia royally pissed off the French by scrapping a previous deal to buy submarines from the French. Uh, the French were obviously very upset about that. They recalled the U.S. and Australian ambassadors, and France's foreign minister said at the time that there was lying, there was duplicity, there was a major breach of trust. Uh, it was a stab in the back. So that that's the same deal that we're talking about today. But the
0: three allies thought it was worth to to go ahead with this anyway, despite you know French frustration.
1: Yeah, well, I think you alluded to it. It's uh, there's a lot of cash on the line here. Uh, the economic benefits could be enormous. Australia is planning to spend anywhere between. 178 and 245 billion dollars that that's US dollars in in Australia it's more like 350 billion dollars and that's just for the submarines alone uh the upside i guess is that it's bound to create thousands of jobs across the three countries australian officials said it could create up to 20,000 jobs uh, over the next 30 years. And the Financial Times I saw called the deal a jobs bonanza, which is always something that politicians are thrilled to promote uh, to their electorates. But it's, it's not just about jobs. No, right. I think at the core, this is a security deal. Um, the U.S., sees Australia as one of its most import, uh, important security partners in the Pacific, alongside Japan and South Korea, obviously. But Australia is the true Pacific partner of that bunch. It has the closest relationships with Pacific Island nations. Um, and, and as for the, U- uh, the UK... The US National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the plan was a manifestation of a broader encouragement that the president has offered to European allies to be more engaged in Asia and Asian allies like Japan and Korea to be more involved in Europe. So fundamentally, it's a security deal focused on the Indo-Pacific region.
0: The, the fact that the deal is centered around submarines seems important to me too. I mean, I think last year the US Marine Corps said it would uh, get rid of its tanks, sell, sell the tanks uh, to the, to the army, and refocus on amphibious warfare. That's not a coincidence, is it?
1: No, no, it's not a coincidence. Um, it, I mean, let's be honest. There's no there's no secret about what this deal is about, or where the U.S. thinks that the next war, the next conflict might be. And you know, fingers crossed, it's not going to be another land war in the Middle East. You know, for its part, China, which is the obviously the elephant in the room here, um, is understandably upset about the AUKUS deal. Uh, during China's two sessions, the legislative sessions that they held last week, President Xi Jinping said Western countries were engaging in a all-around containment, encirclement, and suppression of China. So, you know, I don't think if Biden, Albanese and and Rishi Sunak are sitting down and having a few post aukus beers in San Diego this afternoon, I don't think that they would disagree with Xi Jinping's assessment, or at least not privately.
0: Today's show is sponsored by Roca. We really like newsletters, and we've got another recommendation that you've got to check out, The Current by Roka News. Here's what we like about it. It was founded by people who don't like the negative, partisan, and alarmist style of news. It favors facts over opinions, and it tells you what you need to know for the day so you can hold your own at happy hour. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, welcome back. Next up, we're talking about the collapse of a major American bank. So, John, what's the story?
1: Yeah, also known as the story that stole my weekend. Uh, but, Ethan, you'll be glad to know that uh, the leadership of Intrigue ensured that we as a company are not exposed to this one. But um, <laughs> more seriously, this is this is the, the story that uh, last Friday, California-based Silicon Valley Bank shuttered after 40 years in business. It was the 16th largest bank in America, and it fell apart really in an instant. Uh, the long and the short of this is that Silicon Valley Bank which I'll probably just call SVB for short, um, had most of its deposits in low-yield, long-term US Treasury bonds. But before you fall asleep, that basically just means it's the safest investment a bank can make in a low-interest-rate environment. But obviously, we are no longer in a low-interest-rate environment, uh, and as interest rates have risen, the relative value of those bonds has decreased because when interest rates increase the price of bonds falls. So basically what this means is that it's, that it, is that if SVB ever needed to sell the bonds it has on its books, it would have to do so at a lower price than what it paid for them. But that's not all. As we know, the tech industry, which is one of Silicon Valley Bank's biggest clients, um, has been getting slammed over the past six months. You know, Valuations are down, VC uh, venture capitalists, I should say, are putting away their checkbooks, um, and there's just a lot less money sloshing around the tech scene uh, than there was this time last year. That's kind of where SVB ran into problems. It has less valuable bonds, fewer smaller deposits, and probably more withdrawals. And that all combined to force them to sell some of their bonds, um, but at a loss of about US $2 billion. So to cover that gap, the the gap between depositor requests and the cash it had on hand, SVB started to try and raise some capital. But that spooked depositors who said, "Uh uh-oh, they flocked to the bank and they wanted their money back.
0: Okay, so it was just a, a classic run on the bank then.
1: Right, that's what it sounds like, except it's a run on the bank for the digital age as I said before, Silicon Valley Bank isn't a typical bank or it wasn't a typical bank. It's, it was massively exposed to the tech sector, the Silicon Valley startup scene, um, and the owners of those companies, the companies that had their cash in SVB, all kind of know each other really well and they're networked and they're active on social media. So I think what we saw was one person pointed out that uh, Silicon Valley Bank was doing this capital raise and started to think about some questions about their balance sheet. That saw some people start to pull their money out, and then a lot of SVP's customers followed suit pretty quickly thereafter. I mean, the numbers are mind-boggling. Over the course of 10 hours last Thursday, depositors pulled out $42 billion in a day. That's a million dollars a second. So it makes it the, uh, the second largest bank run in U.S. history and the largest since the Great Recession uh, a decade ago. Uh,
0: John, as an aside, do you remember... Um... The GameStop fiasco in 2021, when those Reddit day traders artificially inflated the value of several junk stocks just by all agreeing to buy it. Uh, this, I know, this is different. I know it's kind of you know two different parts of the financial economy, but this feels kind of similar. It makes it seem like the entire financial system is sitting on a knife's edge. That you know the fates of companies and banks can rise and fall in a moment's notice thanks to the power of social media um, but but anyways, I mean h- how did uh, regulators respond to this
1: yeah, the, the meme stock craze right I, I think that 's a, a great take, and you 're exactly right the The banking system can 't quite cope with the era of meme stocks and twitter induced bank runs it wasn 't designed in that era. Uh, Anyway, the response uh, of the regulators was super swift in this case. As we know from past experience, relatively recent past experience, financial crises can quickly get out of control. Uh, Experts liken them to falling dominoes or contagions. Uh, Two banks actually got swept up in the chaos over the weekend. It was obviously Silicon Valley Bank, but New York based Signature Bank and California based Silvergate. Who both worked closely with the crypto sector were also uh, shut down. So anyway, on Friday, U.S. regulators took control of the Silicon Valley Bank. On Sunday, after much speculation and panic from the Twitter sphere—and I mean panic from the Twitter sphere—they, uh, the the federal the federal government, also moved to guarantee the deposits of all of SVB's customers. That's a big deal. Uh, most of the deposits in SV in, S, in the Silicon Valley Bank. Belonged to companies rather than to individuals, um, and totaled well above the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars that's protected by the U.S. government's de- uh, deposit insurance agency. So, you know, by promising to insure all deposits, regulators have hoped to prevent further bank runs by basically saying, "Don't worry, don't think about pulling your cash out. We got your back, so everything's good."
0: And and does it seem like they've contained the spread? And and also, you know, is there concern that other countries might be affected?
1: Yeah. Let me let me take that second one first. I think SVP had a bunch of branches all over the world which worked closely with local startups. In Israel, which is a leading startup nation, hundreds of firms work with SVB and could be exposed to its collapse. The Israel stock market slumped a bit on Monday, I saw, because of the news. Uh, and in the UK, uh, officials coordinated with HSBC, the, the giant bank, to to purchase Silicon Valley Bank's UK branch for a single pound. Uh, That was big news because I think Silicon Valley Bank held $8.1 in deposits. So the good news there is that those will be protected as well. On your first question, or first part of your question on whether they've contained the spread, the answer is really that time will tell. Economics is all about psychology and vibes, which is, I know, a little bit... (laughs) a little bit troubling, but it's especially true in the social media era. So if people are feeling like the banking system might be in trouble, then it kind of will be. It's a little bit self-fulfilling. So it's incumbent on regulators around the world to project calm, confidence, to keep a lid on things. And so far it seems like they've done that, but we're really going to have to wait and see. Um, just before we finish up, I, I, there are two other very quick points that I wanted to mention, um, and I think it's hard to underestimate the effect that the collapse of SB will have on banking system sort of in the medium term. We're focused on the short term immediately. But does this mean that all deposits in the U.S. are insured now? Uh, is it the end of interest yielding accounts? You know, you can't just put money in an account if it's risk free and expect to get paid for it. So I think there are a lot of questions on how the U.S. banking system will reorganize itself after this. And then, and then the second question I think that we've been discussing internally, Ethan, is, uh, foreign spy agencies must be watching how easy it was to bring down a US bank. I mean, in this case, it obviously wasn't nefarious, but uh, and and you know, SVB was comically badly managed. But there's a chance that if you can kind of spread some disinformation on Twitter or Reddit or wherever, that you could start to create bank runs uh, which would be pretty catastrophic for foreign banking systems. So I think that's another issue to watch.
0: So if you have any, if you have any enemies in, in, in the, the banking world, uh, you know this is something to, to consider um, the power of social media. Anyways, thanks John. <laughs> thanks Ethan Here are a couple other stories we're tracking today. Amazon deforestation rates reached new record highs last month, climbing 62% higher than the same period last year. Brazilian President Lula da Silva campaigned on promises to protect the Amazon, but his environmental policies have yet to pay off. Lawmakers in Uzbekistan have voted to hold a constitutional referendum on the 30th of April after protests derailed plans to hold it late last year. The new constitution would allow the country's president, who served as president since 2016, to remain in office until at least 2040. And that's going to do it for me. By the way, as a proportion of GDP, Latvia has sent more aid to Ukraine than any country except Estonia. But now they've got a clever new scheme to help out their southern allies. So check out the International Intrigue newsletter to see what they've cooked up. In the meantime, I'm Ethan Plotkin. See you on Friday.